0: Hello, friends and church leaders. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Becky Holton, and I'm joined by my hubby host, Carrie Holton. Yes, you are. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing all right.
1: I'm glad to hear it.
0: Doing okay.
1: Well, babe. Yeah. We continue to get mail in response to recent podcasts. (laughs) Yes we do. You've got mail. (laughs) Isn't that one of your favorite movies? You've Uh, got mail.
0: Well, I don't know if it's a favorite. I do like it when I'm in It's an oldie. The mood for a chick flick. Little chick flick old romance rom com. Yeah. (laughs) Well and as you have said repeatedly, we do want our listeners to know that we are not uh, complaining about getting emails. No. We are we really appreciate mail from our listeners, sure. and we want to invite, and we welcome your responses. So whether it's a request for clarification on something that Carrie said wrong, well, no, something we say <laughs> wrong, or a pushback on something we say, we really do welcome the response of you, our listeners. And as you say, we have had some good response from recent podcasts, and, and so we decided to build this podcast around some of the questions and comments that we recently received.
1: Yes, we did. Okay, let's get after it. What's our first question?
0: All righty. One listener wrote this. In a recent podcast, you stated that ministers can be too bonded to the leaders in a church. You stated that they should have a degree of independence from them. Would you elaborate on what you meant by that recommendation? Exactly what do you mean when you say ministers need some degree of independence?
1: Yeah, okay. Well, recently we were talking about some of the foundational principles of effective ministry. We stated that one of those principles is that ministers must be team players with other leaders in a church But at the same time, they need to maintain some degree of independence.
0: Right. And as our listener correctly said, we noted that ministers can be too bonded to the leaders in a church. Specifically, they can be too tied to them. They can be too buddy-buddy with them to the shepherds of the church, uh, that they can easily become persons who just try to please them instead of God. And I think... I remember you saying that ministers, preachers, and teachers in particular need to speak with integrity the message of God and that a degree of independence will ensure that integrity. Right. Do I remember that correctly?
1: Exactly right. What I meant by that remark, honey, was that preachers and teachers of God's word do have a responsibility to preach and teach the Bible. And they answer to God for what they preach and teach. And they must boldly proclaim what they believe the Bible teaches. In this sense, they must be independent of the elders or the leaders of the church. I guess what I'm saying is that they must boldly proclaim God's word and say what they feel needs to be said no matter how well or not well received they think their message may be.
0: So it's possible for preachers to only preach what they think their listeners want to hear.
1: Sure. It's a real temptation.
0: Isn't that what Paul was saying in 2 Timothy three? I mean, that's a pretty straightforward verse. I think this so. This topic where he said the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. That's, that's right. Pretty much of a smackdown on this topic. Yes,
1: yes. Well, there's always the temptation for preachers to sort of put their finger in the wind, if you will, to see which way the wind is blowing before they take a stand on something. And speaking of, you know, I heard Dad say something one time that has really stuck with me. And I believe it's true, not just because Daddy said it. I believe it's true.
0: Well, our listeners may not know that your dad preached himself for 25 years at least and has been serving as an elder of the church for about 30 years.
1: That's right. That's right. So So he has some. He has some credibility. He has
0: some street cred there. Yes, he
1: does. Well, here's what I heard Daddy say on one occasion. He said that as an elder of the church, he wants their preacher to proclaim what he believes the Bible teaches, that is, what the preacher believes the Bible teaches, not what dad believes the Bible teaches, rather than just parroting what the preacher thinks the elders believe or what he thinks the elders may want to hear or what he thinks some in the church want to hear. In other words, he wants their preacher to proclaim what he believes to be the truth from God's word, even if no one, including the leaders of the church, agree with him.
0: You know, I can really imagine a preacher facing this temptation because he believes his livelihood is dependent on saying from the pulpit what he believes his listeners believe, and he chooses to never ruffle feathers or to challenge people to question what they may have believed the Bible teaches. In this regard, a preacher Um, You know, a minister needs some degree of independence. He needs to have the ability and the support even to speak God's word and to do what he or she thinks is right, regardless of how the leaders or others in the church feel about that. Exactly. It's it's a matter of integrity.
1: I think it is. And, you know, I'll give you an example of what I mean, and uh, I'll just give an example from my own personal experience.
0: I have a feeling I know what you're going to say here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) well I know a preacher who was asked to speak on the biblical qualifications of elders and by the way that preacher was me so this is a personal experience story Uh, the church where I uh, was once serving and preaching for where we worked together the, the church was about to appoint additional elders and the elders wanted me to address those qualifications so I did. I spoke from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and when I addressed the qualification that an overseer must be the husband of one wife, as the Greek is translated in many versions, I suggested that the qualification was not that an elder must be married and have had only one wife, but that an elder must be a one-woman man. And by the way, that is literally what the Greek says there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, a one-woman man. So, when I addressed this text, I stated my belief that this text permitted widowers to serve as elders, that it did not prohibit men from serving as elders who happened to be unmarried. For, I said, a man can be a one-woman man and be unmarried or be a widower. In other words, my understanding of the text was that an elder must not be a skirt chaser, that is, the qualification has to do with a man's character and not about his marital status. I believed that Paul was insisting that an elder be sexually pure in that statement.
0: I remember that time very well, Um when you were studying that and would come home and talk about it and the hours you put into looking at that, because that was a different interpretation than the one I'd grown up hearing. And um, I grew up hearing that an elder must be a married man.
1: Well, didn't we all? Yeah. And by the way, this is an aside and not relevant to a minister having some degree of independence. But as an aside, our listeners might appreciate the fact that we have a similar construction in first Timothy chapter five and verse nine. Now in that chapter, you might remember Paul is instructing Timothy on whom should be put on the widow's list, that is, the list of widows that should be cared for by the church. He says, let a widow be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old and has been married only once, and that's First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9. Now, my translation renders the Greek married only once, that Paul insists that these widows who are supported should be married only once, but... The Greek literally says that these widows who are qualified to receive support from the church must be one-men-women. Now, is Paul saying that they are women who must have been married only once? Or is he saying that, like elder candidates in 1 Timothy 3, they should be morally pure? The latter is certainly a legitimate interpretation, and it's a good one. For why would Paul insist, for example, that the church could help widows who had been married only once, but could not help widows who had been married more than once?
0: Good point.
1: Well, anyway, <laughs> back to my illustration. I stated in, in that sermon on a Sunday morning, I stated my belief in this more uncommon at the time interpretation of 1 Timothy 3.2. The elders of that church had an emergency Sunday afternoon meeting, in which they affirmed that they did not agree with my interpretation of that passage. And at the Sunday night assembly, one of them stood up before I preached and stated that the eldership did not agree with what I had said in my sermon just a few hours earlier. So, here's my question. If I had known how my elders felt about the meaning First Timothy three and verse two. Should I have voiced my belief that it meant something else, something different from what they understood it to mean?
0: Well, I would say emphatically, yes. That's what you should do. You I should, should do what? You should stand up and believe and teach what you believe the Bible says. Good answer not, from my wife. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I also remember um, that you also said this is a. When you were preaching, you said there there is this perspective, and then the perspective that you preached. Okay. And you you presented it in a, a balanced type way, but also gave the rationale from your study on why you had presented it, and um, I think. This, uh, you have to stand up and say that, and you have to tell what you believe the passage means, even if your t- interpretation doesn't agree with the commonly accepted view. Personally, I I'm a pew sitter and I want Bible teachers, our expositors, when they stand up to preach or teach or tell me what they have learned from the Lord or what they believe the Bible teach, I want to hear what they have learned from study, not what they are supposed to parrot and is the, what's the, what's the terminology? It's the party line. Right. Um, that's, and I think that's what we're saying, that ministers need to feel some kind of independence. They need to feel free to teach and preach what they believe scripture says, even if their convictions don't agree with the convictions of the leaders of the church. I mean, it goes back to who are we serving, God or man? There you You go. And again, this can't be a preacher that just decides he's going to whip out something new that someone hasn't heard and it's not studied and be irresponsible with his role.
1: Well, then you don't want someone getting up there who just likes to rock the boat.
0: Absolutely. And
1: push buttons. Right. And poke the bear. You know, you don't want that kind of a preacher either. We're not either. talking of course not. about
0: that no. at all. We're talking about deep study with understanding because that's what a minister is supposed to do. Yes. And if they are so tied to the people that sign their paycheck, then their, um, then the integrity of their message will be threatened.
1: I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I would hope that church leaders would want to hear what their ministers, their preachers, and teachers really believe. I would hope that church leaders and churches would want their ministers to state their convictions when they address the church. After all, haven't they spent much time in prayer, in the study of the word, and in the preparation of their lessons? I would hope that they would want to hear those convictions that have been forged in the fires of diligent study and prayer.
0: I agree, but, but I have a question for you. Do you believe the elders of that church did the right thing when they stood up and essentially publicly censured you over something that you said from the pulpit?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to answer that question.
0: Did any personal feelings come through on that? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm sure. Well, well, certainly I, I do believe that there are times when the elders in a church may need to publicly express their disagreement with the minister over something he may say, teach, or believe. Sure. I mean, we could cite many New Testament passages that support this. After all, elders are the shepherds of the church, the preachers, not the shepherd of the church. One of the responsibilities of shepherds is to feed the flock, or at least ensure that the flock is fed. And, by the way, another responsibility is to protect the flock from wolves. Wolves would be false teachers who injure the flock. So, yes, I think we can all envision times when elders may need to publicly censure their minister.
0: But to label you as a false teacher?
1: Okay, well, yeah, having said that, I wouldn't label a minister who had a different interpretation of that elder qualification in First Timothy 3. I wouldn't label that preacher a false teacher. It just happened to be me, but I would say that's true of any preacher. He may have had a different interpretation of that passage than they did, but that would not make him a false teacher, as I understand what that means in the New Testament.
0: I agree. And and I remember, of course, this time, well, it's still very confusing to me that there was no conversation. There was no study together to try to determine what those scriptures actually said. Um, because I think that's part of being a Christian is that God draws us deeper into his heart and we learn things. I hope I'm still learning about the heart of God and what he wants me to know and to believe and live. I hope I'm, I'm still learning until I draw my last breath. And I think that's what gives us integrity and I feel like, without those kinds of conversation and study, that it allows people to jump to conclusions that may or may not be accurate. I agree that they were truly trying to do their jobs and watch out for the church, and I appreciate that, but i I do think that there was there's a level of disappointment for me over how the whole thing. Was processed because I feel like one of the messages that was given was that you agree with the party line or you will be publicly censured. That really shut down any opportunities for people to question and and ask ask questions and to think through things but you know to our listeners i hope this discussion has answered our 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 listeners question the one that wrote in about the independence that ministers need to feel and to be granted by the church leaders i hope that's helped explain that a little bit more yeah, me too. But let's address one more question that, that came up last week. Another listener asked a question in response to our last podcast on what should be done when a minister should leave a church for the sake of a church's health. You know, we stated in episode 62 that it's not always in the best interest of the church for a minister to stay that ter- to that long with that church. We were talking about longevity right. uh, with the church. So one church leader asked, this question he said when does a fear of black backlash from the congregation for letting a preacher go affect an elder's decision making
1: well that's a great question isn't it yes i i think the questioner is asking this this and i'll just reword it a little bit should the fear of backlash from the congregation affect the eldership's decision to either keep or let go of their preacher
0: I think it's a very interesting question, yes. and it's a question with a lot of integrity, uh, because To some extent, it relates to what we're talking about the independence of the church leader. We have just talked about the independence between a church, between the church's minister and the elders. This question is talking about the necessary independence that may need to exist between the shepherds and the church.
1: Exactly right.
0: You know, how independent should the elders of a church be, for example? from the wishes of the church that they serve
1: oh that's such a good question i think well
0: it was a great question and it's a hard one
1: yeah let me let me try to address it and we can discuss it first of all i would certainly say that elders would be wise to consider the effect of their decisions on the church before they make those decisions and and of course they do i mean i don't think i know or have ever heard of a single eldership that didn't take the thought or the consideration of the church in mind before they made a decision. True. I mean, good leaders don't just sit in their conference rooms and make decisions without considering how the church will react to those decisions.
0: Right. And we, just for clarification and to be plain, we're not talking about um, elders who make cavalier decisions that are not even considered of the church or the impact the decision will make on the church, that maybe it is almost an egocentric, heady perspective where they can make a decision irregardless of how people feel. Um, We're not talking about that. We're talking about decisions that are made by leaders after lots of prayer, and after probably getting input even from church members about their perspective and and ha- taking a lot of time for discussion and study, that's what we're talking about right. here. Just we want to make that distinction very clear for our listeners.
1: Right. They will be wise to consider the impact of their decisions on the church before they make those decisions. But now having said that, let let's say this. A church really needs to grant their elders some independence just as the elders grant their ministers a degree of independence. And by the way, whether the church grants them independence or not, they should feel a level of independence. A church needs to give their leaders the freedom to make decisions that they feel are in the best interests of the church, even when those decisions may not be well received by everyone in the church.
0: Yes, and we've pointed out that a church's shepherds are given that responsibility of overseeing the flock and feeding and protecting the flock, which means that ultimately they're the ones that have to decide what's in the best interests of the flock. And they're the ones that have to answer to God for the way they carry out their responsibilities.
1: Yes, and surely there will be times when the elders feel that they must make a decision for the sake of the health of God's church. That may not go over well with some in the church, and they must decide to do what they think is right and best anyway, no matter who in the church disagrees with them.
0: So, should the fear of backlash from the congregation affect the eldership's decision to either keep or let go of the preacher? Back to the question.
1: The answer is no. Right. That, that's that's our that's my opinion. I agree. No, the eldership should consider how letting go of the preacher will affect the congregation. But how the church may or may not react should not be the determining factor in whether or not the elders decide to let their preacher go. Uh, they must do what they believe is right. In fact, they may have information the church doesn't have that they're not privy to. They must do what they believe is right and in the best interests of the church regardless of how some in the church may react
0: and something we it's really hard to talk about this because there's so many different reasons for why a minister might need to leave and each of those reasons might require a different response or reaction for example moral failure is going to require a quick action yes um otherwise there if a minister is not willing to stay on mission and do what his job is and he's not helping the church there needed to be a lot of pre-work done before that is there a job description is there accountability is there follow-up is there mentoring where the some of those decisions will not be a surprise to the church
1: you know honey i think we should say here too that the church really is not a democracy and i mean by that oh no yes here we go jesus is the king yes and and ultimately elders answer to to God they answer to Jesus isn't that what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he talks about the shepherds of the church and that one day the chief shepherd will reward them for their work i mean they answer they answer to the chief shepherd they answer to the lord they don't really answer to the church now again <laughs> elders need to take what the church thinks into consideration they might even ask people in the church uh to be discreet, of course, but they, they might want to get input from the church on decisions they make. But I think in, in the long run, can't we say that they don't answer to the church? They answer to God.
0: Well, there's a biblical principle for all of us. we must obey God rather than men very good that that crosses the board, but elders in particular, as our ministers who preach and teach are called to a higher standard that there has there's a level of responsibility for them, and they it's a heavy load, it's a very heavy burden, and they have to do what's right before God first, because God is going to take care of them
1: yes. And, you know, I can hear someone saying, maybe someone is saying, well, are you giving elders the right to be autocrats? Well, no. No. We're not, we're not talking about elders who, who uh, are, are drunk on power and who, who act like autocrats. No. but But we do recognize, too, that they don't really answer to the church. They answer to God.
0: I think, you know, that's where we can't just cut out little slices here and make them... Standards for all time. (laughs) You know, it's dangerous to do that. What we're talking about are men that have been put into this role, these elders, these shepherds that have been put into this role because they meet certain qualifications. Mm -hmm. If they have those qualifications, then there's going to be a mode of operation that they will carry out of how they make these decisions. There's a level of wisdom that will be followed or, um, you know, they won't be in that role more than likely. So I think there's a lot of foundational information we're not addressing here, but it certainly applies in how these things will be carried out.
1: In the end, what we're saying, babe, right, to clarify is that we – We feel like churches need to give their leaders a degree of independence. Yes. To make decisions that they think are best. Mm -hmm. Okay, good.
0: Well, I suspect we're going to get even possibly more mail. (laughs) Probably (laughs) so. After our response to this question. Uh, You know, we're just expressing our opinion, um, listeners. They are opinions and recommendations that we believe have been born out of years of Bible study and experience in church work and a public censure that's for sure but they're just our judgments they're just our perspectives and you are more than free to disagree with us and to express that disagreement so with that we probably need to shut down this podcast any closing thoughts today hon Uh,
1: no i think i've said enough praise the lord
0: (laughs) Well, very well. Again, thank you, listeners. We really do appreciate you engaging us in these podcasts, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week of the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive.